Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. had all that I can stand for a while. I love God's word, let me tell you. But uh, it's time to delve into just a little something different. Amen. And clear the cobwebs from my mind and other areas. Colossians 2 and verse number 13. The Bible says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it. Everybody say nailing it, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a shoe of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Triumphing over them in it. I don't have a very deep or complex message today but it is the word of God and so it's good in and of itself I want to talk to us just tonight very simply on nailed it nailed it nailed it I know that brings a lot of thoughts to nine those people that's wanting to cook something on Pinterest and they show the picture of what's there left and nailed it yeah that's quite hilarious we might need to use one of those for our background now I'm just joking no we're talking about somebody that truly did nail it Amen. Here tonight, uh, this evening. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I love you. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, you would help us in the next little while. God, to once again, Lord, to browse, Lord, through the scripture here and God, see something that's applicable, Lord God, for today. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, and we're grateful, Lord God, for the action. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, God, for the effort. God, that was placed and put forth. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, we are not disappointed today. Lord, over the work of Calvary. We're not disappointed today, Lord, over the blood that was shed and the sacrifice that was made. We're all beneficiaries, Lord, of that, and I'm grateful today for it. Love you and praise you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Nailed it. Amen. I'll be able to just kind of break the monotony if I just say that every once in a while, bring a smile to people's faces. Uh, but whenever we think of this small little structure tool, all times made from metal, and we think of nails, the majority of the time we, 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 our mind may go to construction or the constructing of something, something that's being built to last. Nails, we, we consider in our minds it's something that holds things together, that stabilize a structure uh, around 2000 the year 2000 there was a man by the name of Stephen Ambrose who wrote a book that was entitled nothing like it in the world and what it was it was the story of the transcontinental railroad that was built from 1863 to 1869 in that book this author described what happened during the building of the rails that led out to the west, the uninhabited area of the Americas at that time. He spoke how there were a series of wagons that were pulled by great horses, and one wagon would carry about 40 rails. Another would be filled with the proper amount of spikes and railroad ties, 
and from that wagon four men would grasp the rail and anchor it into place. And at the command of down, they would drop the rail into its place. Every 30 seconds, there came that brave down, down, down cry from either side of the track. The chief spiker, as he was called, was ready. The gauger stooped and measured. The sledges rang out as they tinged against the spikes and against the rails. Two rails every 30 seconds. One on each side. Four rails a minute. As the rails went down, the gauger was there to measure exactly a rod, 48 and a half inches in between the rails. When the wagon was emptied in about 10 minutes time, covering a little over 80 feet further down the line, another horse-drawn wagon would be right there immediately in its place, settled in to follow the same suit. There were 30 men that would be driving the spikes on the outside and on the inside with three strokes of a sledgehammer per spike. Ten spikes to the rail. 400 rails to the mile. And it was 1,800 miles across Nebraska into San Francisco on the Union Pacific Rail. 21 million times. Those sledgehammers had to be swung. The pace of the rails going down was as fast as a man could walk at a normal pace. And in the end, when the finishing touches had been placed on the track, an average of nine to 10,000 spikes had been placed in the rails per mile. But the spikes that helped wield that great foundation that in many instances is still in place at least to a certain degree today for the railroad tracks that went from the east to the west pale in comparison to the three spikes that were used a little less than 2,000 years ago. And I guarantee you that along that rail line they've had to do some replacement. But there has never had to be a replacement for the three spikes that were used about 2,000 years ago. Paul left us with these words speaking about you and I, how we were dead in our sins. We were captives, if you will, to our own flesh. But he speaks with Calvary in view, how we could be forgiven of all of our trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that were against us, contrary to us, and Christ took them out of the way. How? By nailing it to the cross. Paul left us with those words, amen, to impart to us hope, to impart to us the reality of the power of Calvary. Amen. The bond that was written against us had to be paid, folks. It had to be paid. It was something that every man owed. Every man owes a debt. And it was a debt that had to be paid. And if the man did not pay his debt in those times, he would be thrown into a debtor's prison and could actually spend the rest of his life in prison if he didn't pay the debt that he owed. And to understand then the mercy of God and understand the love, the amazing love of God, we must understand just a little bit 
about the substance where these things that were written against us were written upon. They say that the ancient documents that these things were written on were something that may have called papyrus or perhaps from a bulrush or it was written on vellum which was made from the skin of animals. Both were fairly, fairly expensive and you certainly did not want to waste either of these materials. Ancient ink of old it didn't have any acid in it like ink today does and so whenever they wrote on this vellum or wrote on this papyrus as it were it merely lay on the surface and did not bite into the material it didn't become indelible on the material as modern inks do today and sometimes a scribe in order to save this paper because it was so expensive he would use the vellum or the papyrus that he had already written on before time and because he did that what he would do he'd just take a sponge and he would wipe away the writing that was out upon the paper because it was the only surface it was only on the surface of the paper the ink could not penetrate deep within the fibers of the vellum or the papyrus so the little ink could be wiped out as if it were never been and so whenever God came with his amazing love and his amazing mercy and grace through Calvary's tree he banished the record of our debt and our sins if you will by nailing it to the tree he wiped it away it would not be indelible for our life and can I just back up and say tonight there is no sin that you can commit that has to be permanent in your life can I tell you that? There's no sin, there's no faux pas, there's no mistake that you can make or have made in your life that has to be an indelible imprint upon your life. When he nailed it, he nailed it, honey. He has the ability of wiping it clean off the surface away. He has that ability still yet tonight. Someone say amen. But if we were to walk toward Golgotha tonight, and just view for a little bit. And I know I don't want to get caught into the vice of, of this being something that we hear a thousand times and shrugging it off. But let's just turn our attention and our ears as though it's we're hearing it for the first time. A little history, if you will, behind the act of crucifixion in the ancient world. Amen. Crucifixion was that which was considered the most severe form of capital pun punishment. Amen. It was the most severe. Amen. In order of severity, sometimes a person may be decapitated. That was the least painful, of course, gone and done in a moment, reserved only for a citizen of high rank or a high ranking official somewhere in the middle I know if you're really going to categorize you know uh, categorize death I don't know how you do that uh, of one being less intense than another but right in the middle was being burned alive you know if you were one of the type you know I, I really don't want the worst just let me be the middle just burn me alive I don't know how you do that but the middle of the road was being burned alive and last of severity was crucifixion it was reserved for slaves it was reserved for criminals not the high ranking in society amen and if they had only knew the Bible says in New Testament scriptures if they had only knew him they would not have crucified him because they gave him the death of a slave they gave him the death of a criminal and little did they know they had the king of eternity hanging on the cross amen the rulers of the provinces many of them they favored crucifix because it made a public statement to all the people one roman writer even wrote he said whenever we crucified the guilty 
The most crowded roads are chosen. And where the most people can see and be moved by fear, that's where we have the crucifixion at. Where most of people can see because it's to be a statement for all humanity. Amen. The Romans did not invent death by crucifixion. There were a lot of other societies that involved themselves in the act of crucifying people. To trace it back, you got to go way back to find the beginning of crucifixion. But as a warning to others who might be tempted to rebel, be tempted to do something wrong, they impaled the conqueror on poles or stakes. One of the early Greek words even indicate that the early crosses were actually stakes and the victim was impaled upon them. So they came a little way by the time it got to Jesus' day. Crucifixion was a death by exhaustion. Every minute consumed with the painful necessity of struggling to suck in and breathe out another breath. David in Christ from the Psalms that I read even this morning of Psalm 69 in verse 1 and 2, he says, Save me, O God, which we see as a messianic psalm. For the waters have come upon my neck. I sink into the mirthy depths there where there is no foothold. The legacy of death by crucifixion is still with us in a word that we use. Anyone ever said you're in excruciating pain? I'm in excruciating pain. Well, that literally means out of the cross. I'm in excruciating pain. To extend the life, to extend the life of the individual was to extend the torment of the individual. Amen. The, the ex executioners took great, great care and caution not to harm the vital organs in the body. They performed everything very properly. Amen. So that they could hang there as long as nine days many times before death would finally come upon them. As we go through the story of the passion, you might call it, the mock trials are now on and, and, and what little that Pilate was willing to allow Jesus to be set free at because they're going to have to set somebody free but they chose Barat, their Sabbath and here they said we'll just keep Jesus and we'll take him you you take him and we'll crucify him but for the sake of record Pilate there saying hey I find no fault with this man he goes symbolically to abase him he washes his hands of the whole affair and he backs up just relieving him of the responsibility of the blood in the life of Christ not putting it to his own account but to the account of the people it would be very quickly then that four soldiers would take Jesus with the intent of carrying out the execution it's going to be a long walk from the judgment hall to where Calvary is going to be a long walk from there for a condemned man hey man previously in the garden they had been close as much as 600 who had been around there to, to gather and to capture the Lord but now there's just a force soldiers that's going to lead him on his way. Pilate's thinking there's, there's no possible way there'll be a riot now. The people finally, they, they find as though their, their desires are being answered. Everything will be well. Only the supporters of Jesus now are to be seen, but the disciples are gone. He meant some of his own family are gone. There's just a few weeping women over there in the corner. We're not going to have no problem until two soldiers take him, lift a 40 pound cross beam onto his shoulders and he's going to be forced to carry his own cross to the place of his death. Around his neck, 
amen, hangs a piece of wood, amen, and there's something on that piece of wood. And on there it's telling us in those letters the crime which the Lord was charged with that he was per se guilty of, but it was a charge that was not his own. He had a cast off purple robe that was on, crown of thorns, carrying a label, king of the Jews, hustling through the screaming, hustling through the deafening crowd, amen, step by step. He's experiencing excruciating pain. He's already been scourged. There's already been stripes laid to his back. Chunks of his flesh are not there while the wood from the beam that he is carrying is no now aggravating a back that is already laid over. He stumbles out of the judgment hall. He goes through the twists and the turns of the streets. He staggers until finally, amen, face down, motionless, that bruised body already bruised under the beam hits the ground and some people are just onlookers they're looking at his agony some watch him they're disinterested in what's going on because what they see is just another man that's done something wrong that's going to be crucified if they had known that the man that was walking down that path was harnessed upon his body their very iniquity and their very sin I believe they would stood with a little bit more homage with a little bit more respect but they seen him just as another ordinary man I'm here to tell you today we live in a society that still looks at Jesus Christ as still just an ordinary man but he was more than a man they said he's just a carpenter's son honey I'm here to tell you he was more than a carpenter They have their hustle and bustle in the streets. They have their wares and their commerce and their merchandise. And they're doing their buying and selling while the very Savior of the world is walking before them. Others are in mobs that are just thinly aligning the streets all throughout Jerusalem. Others are cursing him. Others are laughing at him. And one way or another, the crowd becomes a key element in the whole process. They're either cheering or they are cursing. Amen. And they're participating nonetheless as he struggles to rise and and take another step to stumble on past them. But it was not long before yet again he's falling again in the street and he is stumbling. I mean, what in the world are you stumbling for, Lord? Is it the weight of the crossbeam added to your wounds? Is it the loss of blood that you've already suffered from? You're scourging? Is it the insurmountable burden of the whole world's rebellion that's being laid on your shoulder? Is it the weight of our past sorrows? In our past sins that are weighing you down. It's all of those things, folks. It's every single infraction, every single injunction. It's whenever they were not true to him. It's whenever a person lied. It's when another committed adultery. It's when another turned their back upon God. It's when another cheated. It's when another stole. It's all those things that caused him to fall to the ground. So that weight is grinding upon him, ground upon ground, stops the entire procession. And our Lord, before he even reaches Golgotha, is evidently there close to the ground. And soldiers summon one by the name of Simon the Serene from the crowd to bear the cross of the Lord. And it was an unexpected cross that Simon bore, which could be a message all in itself. But at Golgotha, when they reach there, the soldiers take that cross beam from Simon's shoulders. Other portions of Scripture say that Simon came in behind the Lord as though he helped him carry the cross to that place. 
but they took that from their shoulders and placed it at the foot of an upright timber that had been placed in the ground one pole of three that was standing there upon a hill that mob that has been following forms very tightly a little circle around the site of the execution you know how it is it's almost like when an accident takes place on a highway some people look because they're concerned others look because they're nosy right I'm sure we had all different type of spectators this day that was around the side of execution and some where there is silence that begins to fall because they understand they're about ready to witness a crucifixion in that silence they may hear the weeping and the wailing of women perhaps Jesus' own mother Mary in the crowd crying for that flesh and blood that came from her womb which was nothing short but a miracle Jesus is stripped of that outer garment amen they're divided among four soldiers the more expensive robe is saved for later as they gamble at Golgotha now we have three soldiers stretch Jesus out on the crossbeam while the other picks up a long iron spike from that culture and time from understanding the nail was nothing but a tapered shaft from five to seven inches long and about three-eighths in diameter that they put into our Lord and our Savior. They stretch him out and the fourth man swings the mallet. Women are perhaps turning away. The mallet's falling. It's driving that seven to nine-inch spikes, five to seven-inch spike into the flesh of Jesus Christ into a wooden beam that nail is forced between two bones in the wrist the ulna and the radius just above the wrist joint because if they were to be placed in the hands they would just rip right through his hands when he hung on that tree by his own weight so they strategically would place them in those two wrist bones so that he could be suspended there by his wrist that nail, that spike would come so close to the radial and the ulnar arteries in the hand. Maybe even sometimes as they would put him in, severing one of the arteries, producing some of the blood that may come from his hand or his wrist, begin to fall to the ground. Just soon later, those men on top of his legs, having them settled right on top of the beam for another nail to go through his feet. And the soldiers hoist the beam up drop it into place and it's through the act of nailing according to the writing of Colossians that he took it out of the way your debt my debt the handwritings the ordinances your sins that abide in your flesh he nailed it and when it was nailed the debt was cancelled they nailed the hands of God the debt was canceled. The hands of God, folks, Jesus Christ in the flesh, but God indwelt that body of Christ. Jesus died on the cross. None of God died, but all of that flesh did. But when we consider the hands and the spirit that invested that body, it was the same spirit and the same hands that through that body had formed Adam out of clay. 
It was that same hand that Moses, in a figurative sense, seen upon the mount of God, write the commandments on tables of stone. It was the same hand that the Tower of Babel was taken away and he confused their language and confused their tongue. It was the same hand and same power by hands that were raised that plagues came upon Egypt. It was the hands that went to the helm of ships and would speak, peace be still. The same hands that would take, blood, that would take mud and take spit and put it together and dab it on the eyes of a blind man and he would eventually see the same hands that had the power to cleanse a temple the same hands that maybe even beckoned Lazarus Lazarus come forth but now he was willfully allowing himself to die it was those hands that brought healings to the lepers that he came and talked with. It was the same hand that not very long ago picked up the ear of Malchus and repositioned it upon his head. It was the hands of inspiration that taught on the Sermon Mount to his disciples and the multitudes that gathered there. It was the hands that broke the bread and the fishes to feed the multitudes. They were hands of power. They were hands of hope, but they were crucified and would be crucified hands. Why? Why would you take such hands of power and such hands of hope and crucify them? Because they had to be nailed in order to take care of the debt. Because breaking bread and breaking fish didn't take care of the debt. Allowing a blind eye to see didn't take care of the blind man's debt. Hear me? Amen. Calming the storm on a raging sea would not take care of a debt it had to be nailed hands that could only take care of the debt. And so between the hands and the wood, if we could see it, although I know we can't, if we could see it as a very long list of things that have been canceled out. And we could say, everybody make a list tonight of every mistake you've made in your life up to this point of time. Between the cross and those hands, there's your list because he nailed it to the tree. And that's a long list. And I hate to tell you tonight this, but I'm not done making mistakes. I'm not done making mistakes. But somehow through the mind of Christ, he already has the mistake that I'm yet to make between the wood and his hands. Hallelujah, that's a long list. It contains lies. It contains lust. It contains greed. It contains all the wasted years of the prodigal son. It contains bad decisions from last year and bad decisions I'm going to make in years to come. But he nailed it. Everybody say, he nailed it. He nailed it to the tree. Why? Why would you do something like this, Lord? Because he knew that those things that are listed as sins had the potential of killing you and I. The writer said the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. The price of sin is death. So he says, I'm going to nail it to the cross. Brother Mike, I'm going to nail it to the cross. The same hand that stilled the seas calmed the guilt and the shame in our individual lives when they nailed it. The same hands 
that cleansed the temple comes down as when David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Only nailed hands can do that. I'm telling us tonight, and I'm coming to a close, if musicians can come. When he nailed it to the tree, the debt was paid, and the future debts were paid. All of that doesn't, of course, give us a license to sin. But as the Apostle Paul said, what that does is gives us an advocate with the Father. That gives us access to payment for debts that we're going to incur from this moment in time forward. I would love to be able to confess to you that whenever I was eight years old and I went to an altar of prayer and God baptized me with His Spirit and I received the Holy Ghost and I got baptized in Jesus' name shortly thereafter, I would love to be able to say to you with confidence that since that day until now, I have been the perfect angel and that I've had a halo glimmering above my head that most people don't notice. I'd love to be able to tell you that I've never spoke an ill word since that day. Love to be able to tell you I never had an impure thought since that day. I'd love to be able to tell you that there was never a time that I raised my voice or never a time that I gossiped since that day. But the fact of the matter is this. I have. I have. And I foresee that as long as I'm attached to this flesh, if I'm victorious tomorrow, I might not be on Wednesday. But I don't have to wring my hands neither. Whenever Scripture spoke of, and I believe maybe I've relayed this before, but whenever Scripture speaks of that whenever we sin, that there remaineth no more sacrifice for it. That does not mean, and I, I don't know if I said all this to get to this point because I feel the Spirit just nudging me right now. That does not mean that after you come to know the Lord, been baptized in Jesus' name, been, been cleansed of all your sins, that does not mean if you make a mistake, and if you do something wrong, then that there, there is no, there's no way that your sins can be remitted or cleansed because there can be no more sacrifice. That's not what that means. What that means is this. Where years ago it took the blood of goats and bulls time and time again, year after year, whenever Christ was crucified, that was the last sacrifice that was necessary. And so, if I flub up now, it's not saying I'm in a perpetual state of lostness because there's no more sacrifice. What that telling me is this. It's already been taken care of. Because there was only once, the Bible speaks in Hebrews, he offered himself once, never again. And so whatever mistake you've made between the beginning of year and now, you're not in a hopeless case because it lies between the cross beam and the pierced hands and it's nailed right there. 
There's not going to be another sacrifice. I don't have to wring my hands and think, man, there's somebody else going to have to come down in a perfect sinless life to be able to take care of what I've done since being saved. No! All you need to do is put your faith and your trust in what saved you to begin with and he'll take care of your issues that are present right now. He nailed it. Stand with me in this place tonight. He nailed it. I spoke last Sunday morning, I believe it was, the people that was in here that there's no one that's, that's far, far from the kingdom of God. I think it's important to continuously reestablish that in our minds with everybody that's sitting here today. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Whatever you have done already this year in the past, since you come to know the Lord, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Because I think sometimes in life we get to a place, there's a threshold that we believe whenever we step over that threshold, we step over that threshold. It's like the final straw. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's the point of no return. I'm trying to allay somebody's fears here tonight. You've not, stopped, you've not stepped over a threshold in life that God can't step over and bring you back across. Feel like I don't know. I feel like God's dealing with somebody tonight. You know, in your imperfect state, God can still use you. I had a little I had a little bout last weekend in my body. It very well may have been connected to a back. My back I got adjusted and stuff. Men's breakfast. I was dizzier than a drunk, and. uh was all day even went to the bed for a lot of the days here Alex's party has just drunk not literally someone's gonna just clip everything else and grab that and go sell it <laughs> I was laying in bed and, and, and uh, trying to go to sleep at night and just still things moving around in the room it seemed and uh, as I was laying there I just felt uh I just felt these waves of the Holy Ghost came over me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet consistently. My wife, she was already in the <laughs> she was already in the preliminaries of going to sleep. She was awake though, but you understand what I'm saying. And I said, dear, I said, and it, it just kind of came on me. I said, I wonder if such and such is praying for me. Somebody that's not in church. Somebody that's away from God. I'm serious. It just hit me in my mind. I just said, I wonder if such and such is praying for me. I just like something I just felt impressed upon my spirit. So I grabbed my phone and I texted this person. And I said, are you praying for me? And they said, you know it. I said, well, I was just wondering. Because I was laying in bed here and I have been going through something today, so on and so forth. And I was just feeling the waves of the Holy Ghost come upon me. What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm seeing somebody in an imperfect state. In an imperfect state. Can make a cry to heaven. And heaven says, I'm listening. 
So I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know where you are tonight. But if you make a cry to heaven, I witnessed it in my bed last Saturday, heaven hears you. Heaven hears you because he nailed it. He nailed your debt. He nailed your penalty to a tree. Hallelujah. It's taken care of. Put your faith there. Put your trust there. Get reconnected there. He hears you. If you can bow your heads all across this place, if, if there's anybody in this house tonight that willing to come to all. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.